Hey, everybody. How are you getting on? Welcome to Shane's Brilliant Podcast. What's happening? How are you? Uh, If this is your first time listening to this podcast, I want to let you know that this is Ireland's number one podcast of all time, as voted for by the readers of Smash Hits magazine. And I'll let you know something. We are, you might look in the fucking charts and not see us. You'll be like, Shane, you're not in the charts at all. Well, I'll tell you why. Because the man has us blacklisted. Not any specific man. I'm talking about the man as a metaphor for big corporations. That man. Because apparently this podcast is dangerous. There's this other podcast uh, called The Joe Rogan Experience. And it's hosted by this fella. His name is Joe Rogan. And He's a character who kind of, they say he's dangerous because he is a host of a lot of anti-vaccine viewpoints and he brings on a lot of dubious, uh, dubiously credentialed uh, experts, in quotes, to uh, prosthetize. Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a word to prosthetize about the supposed dangers of the vaccine, right? That's why he's dangerous, apparently. I'm dangerous because I come on here and talk uncensoredly about the length of my foreskin. And those things apparently are dangerous to society. And that is why you will not see me anywhere near any of the mainstream charts. But trust me, we are number one. I'm just have to get into stats in here from my producer, Dave. And this is apparently we're number one all over the world. We're number one in Belgrade, Tokyo, Santa Barbara and Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, Kansas, man. Do you know that song? I am a lineman for the county and I drive the main. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. Brilliant song. Wichita lineman. Sung by Glenn Campbell, written by Jimmy Webb. First cousin, this is a fact that I just made up. First cousin of former Premier League referee Howard Webb. And um, he wrote that song. It's one of the most beautiful love songs of all time, if you ask me. It's about this cunt. He's a, a lineman for the county. He goes around fixing electrical lines. And... He misses his love. And that's basically it. But it's got one of the greatest couplets in it of all time. He says, I need you more than I want you. And I want you for all time. So he's saying, I need you more than I want you, but I want you forever. So that's how fucking much I need you. And I tried to play that to Kira one time. I said, hey, Kira, listen to this couplet I'm going to tell you here. I need you more than I want you. And she said, what? <laughs> I was trying to be all romantic, get her, you know, probably trying to get her into the sack. And uh, I said, I need you more than I want you. She said, what? I was like, no, wait, wait, <laughs> there's more. It's like the time I um, played her that uh, famous Beach Boys song, God Only Knows, one of the most beautiful love songs ever written uh, by Brian Wilson and lyrics by Tony Wilson, I think is his name. And it opens with the words, I was like, here, look, this is a beautiful song. This should be our wedding song. You know, when we get married, this should be the song. And the first line is, of course, I may not always love you, but as long as there are stars above you. But once they hear, I may not always love you, and they don't want to listen to the rest. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not the point. She's like, no, that's not. Get that away from me. 
Anyway, um, if this is your first time listening, I'm sure that rant there about Wichita alignment has already made you turn off. But we are still going to plow on. This is Shane's Brilliant Podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome, my Shaniacs. Let's hop aboard the Shane train. Destination Nantes. That's right, Nantes in France. N-A-N-T-E-S. And here's another fact that I've just made up. Nantes is the only town in the whole entire world that is that rhymes with the country that it's in. Can you think of another one? Bringland. There's no Bringland. There's no Largentina. There's no Trazil. It must be. And not only is it the only country, the only town that rhymes with the country that it's in, Nantes, it's also a homonym, I think, for slang for pedophile. So there you go, Nantes. Um, how are you all? How did you get on with Storm Eunice? Did you manage to uh, survive? I'm sure you did or you wouldn't be listening to this. It wasn't too bad up here in uh, Dublin. The big wind. It was a mild gust more than anything. Bit of rain. Um, but down the country, I presume it was a lot more dangerous. Now, I'll say this about Dublin since I moved up a couple of years ago. The, it only rains. It seems to me it only rains about six times, six days a year. Whereas down home in Shirley, it used to rain about 600 days a year. And there's not even 600 days in a year. So that'll tell you how many days it was raining. A lot. Like you'd wake up in your bed in the morning and it would just be raining in your fucking bedroom. That's how wet it used to be. Because Trilly, right, is in um, a valley. The beautiful Vale of Trilly. And so apparently a valley means it rains a lot. And it's horrible. So I remember one summer, man, fucking two weeks of non-rain. The whole summer was grey, fucking rain, sideways rain and shit. And I was going, please, global warming. <laughs> please do your work. I was spraying myself with fucking 1980s deodorant. I was throwing plastic straws into the canals. I was doing everything <laughs> in my power to bring global warming to Trilly. And uh, I don't think it ever worked. But... um. Yeah, man. And I think, like, you know the way they have names and shit now, Storm Eunice and all that jazz. I remember back when we were young, we used to have to walk to school in worse storms than that, you know. You'd be walking down to your primary school and there'd be horses. (laughs) Horses just being blown past you by hurricanes and shit. Houses and grannies and stuff being blown into the fucking sky. And But you'd still be forced to walk down to school. And I, I'm not saying that in a, oh, my life, used, the world used to be better when I was young. Back in my, back in my day, it used to be an awful lot better, didn't it, Captain? You know, I'm not doing that. I don't know why I put on an English accent. But I'm, ta- I, I'm in the mind of a Brexiteer. Back in my day, it used to be better. You used to have to walk to work in the wind. No, it used to be a lot worse. The world used to be a lot worse because they used to force us seven-year-olds to walk to school in Force 10 gales. What were they thinking? With a big giant bag on our back. Like things, everyone looks back with rose-tinted glasses, but like 
like nans are the worst for it. Oh, back in my day, fucking, um, you know, we didn't have shoes going to school. Oh yeah, that sounds brilliant, nan. You didn't have fucking shoes. Your feet were like sandpaper with all the calluses on them. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Oh, we missed those days when you had to, children had to walk to school with no shoes on. Back in my day, we didn't lock the door at night. Well, isn't that a fucking stupid thing not to, <laughs> to do? Nans are always saying that. We didn't, I remember, we didn't even lock the doors. Well, fucking hell. Why not? You've children in the house. No wonder there was probably half the house is getting robbed every week. I wonder if you looked at the statistics of break-ins and child abductions from before they used to lock the doors and after. I bet you it was a higher. Especially back then, because they used to just let fucking, you know, your next door neighbor was an, a known sex offender. And you still lived next door to him. It was like, ah, oh, fucking Jimmy. Jimmy's out with his big coat again. You know what I mean? He was just a fella in the neighborhood, in the estate. <laughs> you know, and you used to still leave the doors unlocked. It sounds crazy to me, nans. Back in my day, we used to, we didn't have pizza, we used to eat tripe. Oh, that sounds amazing. Eating pig's stomach instead of beautiful pepperoni pizza. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Back in your day, back during World War II. Or what they call it here, the emergency. <laughs> I mean, why couldn't we just name it what it was, a war? No, in Ireland, we had to call it the emergency. And people had to cut back on butter. That was our fucking war. But they but they used to make us walk to fucking school, man. Like, I remember walking to school when I was seven by myself. Force 10 gales. You know, <laughs> rain used to be sideways going so hard. People had to wear bulletproof vests. That's how fucking hard the rain was or else you get massacred like Sonny on the causeway and the Godfather. Look how they mess... I can do a Marilyn Brando. Wait, wait, wait. Listen. Marilyn Brando, the godfather. Look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> That's fucking horrendous. Look how, look how they massacred my boy. All right, no, let's stop. Let's cut that out of the podcast, all right? Um, but we had uh, fucking heavy school bags. Remember that? I mean, we were seven or eight or whatever. Big giant fucking rucksack. It wasn't made out of whatever they're making it out of now. You know, fiberglass fucking lighting bags. These were fucking sacks. With books. With 900 page books inside them. And you go, oh my back. Shut up. <laughs> because we didn't have lockers in those days. Lockers in schools were not a thing in Ireland in the 90s, man. They were only brought in, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago. Lockers were something, they were like a mythical fucking fantasy thing, like out of the Lord of the Rings in Ireland. Lockers were things that you'd only see on American television in the 90s. Lockers, black coffee, abortions and Michael Jackson. There were things that weren't in Ireland that were only on American TV. And I remember we did get lockers in my secondary school. We got one locker in a classroom. And uh, fucking once when the teacher had his back turned, Mr. Scully. 
<laughs> yeah, Irish teacher. I'm laughing. I mean, he was a fucking nutter, but somebody threw a gobstopper at the locker when his back was turned and it made a big giant <laughs> and he walked out of the classroom, didn't come back for two and a half weeks, said we were assaulting him. You know, that's how <laughs> that's how modern and scary lockers were. Nobody knew how to handle them. Man, some of the secondary school teachers we had. Why would you be a secondary school teacher? Seems like the worst job in the world. Like, imagine working all day long, just being made fun of constantly and showed disrespect by rooms full of smelly, dirty teenage boys who... And you know 15, 16-year-old boys, man. They think they're the smartest cunts in the world. <laughs> they can't be told to shut up, you know. And imagine having to fucking face those pricks every day. It would be the most horrible job in the world, I think. Worse than if you got had to be stripped naked every day and use your body to clean a septic tank. You know, that I would prefer that than have to be a secondary school teacher because, I mean, some of them, I remember back in the day, were on the verge of nervous breakdowns. When you look back at it now... <laughs> <laughs> from an adult perspective some of them were i did a um aptitude test right i, I can't remember what it's called it's not, it wasn't an aptitude test but it was like it was basically an aptitude test but uh, every secondary school used to do it and i got apparently in the top uh two in the classroom that's how fucking smart i am man i talk a lot of bollocks on here but i'm like um albert einstein right and i actually found out later that uh, because I used to be proud because the sec the uh, guidance counselor goes, you can be whatever you want. Because, you know, usually they call you in and go, oh, yeah, you should be a postman. You should be a novelist. You should be a, a fishmonger, right? They used to call me, your man called me and said, you can do whatever you want. And I found out later that a fucking million people got told that, that I wasn't special at all. I saw on Twitter, there was a whole thread of people who were like, oh, yeah, I, I was told that too. That was just the fucking guidance counselors slacking on the job. They couldn't be arsed. Yeah, you can be whatever you want. <laughs> I took it as a compliment. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Whatever. What I said then, he goes, you can do whatever you want. What is it you'd like to do? I said, you know what? I was lying. I couldn't give a fuck. I said, I'd like to be, maybe I'd like to be a teacher. I said, and he went, no, you don't want to be a teacher. I said, oh, oh, yeah? He goes, look at Mr. Brosnan. Look what happened to him. He used to be like that. So, you know, even the fucking teachers knew that it was the worst job in the world. I'd like to be a primary school teacher, babies and senior infants. Now, that would be a doddle, I'd say. Senior infants is the most stupid name for a classroom. <laughs> They're like... You know, yeah, we're the senior infants, you know. We've seen some shit. That's what they're saying to the new fucking babies that come in in babies class. Yeah, you're happy now. Give it a year. It'll break you. <laughs> like the old cunt in um, that Lester fella in The Wire. You know, um, senior infants. I mean, they're fucking five. How could they be senior anything? But I would like to be their teacher because, especially babies, man, because 
Do you know if they're all running around being cunts, you can go like this. Shut up! <laughs> I would just terrify the fuck out of them. Shut up! If you don't shut up, I'm going to tell the boogeyman to eat your mummy and daddy. <laughs> wouldn't that tell them? Wouldn't that fucking shut them up? And then if they went home to their mom and dad and said, Oh, the teacher said, blah, 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 I'd, and they came into me, I'd say, Hey, no, I mean, that's just their imagination, isn't it? Children's imaginations. Well, what can you do? Um, But yeah, that would be, f- I mean, you know, child terrorizing children uh, wouldn't be that, f- would be fun, I suppose. Let's admit it. It would be kind of fun. But you couldn't say that then to the teenagers. You couldn't go, hey, if you don't shut up, I'm going to tell the boogeyman to eat your parents. They'd fucking laugh at you, you know, and they'd probably be like, oh, I don't care. Tell them. They probably want their parents to be eaten by the boogeyman. Fucking teenagers, man. You know, I know I was one once, but they're awful smelling of B.O. semen and dried full fat milk. It's fucking disgusting. Imagine the smells that teenagers had going into, or I mean, the teachers had going into fucking classrooms. I mean, it must be horrendous, especially when I went to, I went to an all boys school. Is that just in Ireland where you have an all boys school? Secondary school. Is that that's a religious thing, is it? Because it's fucking barbaric, to say the least. Well, maybe not barbaric. <laughs> Alright, it's barbaric to say the most. Alright. <laughs> to exaggerate, it's barbaric. But it is fairly bad because you're in a fucking room with 30 teenagers for eight years or whatever. And you haven't seen a girl in 10 years. You've gone through your whole puberty. You haven't spoken to a girl. I mean, I didn't know girl. I didn't hear a girl fart until I was well into my 20s. That's how. And when it happened, I was fucking shocked, appalled and mystified. You know, (laughs) it was like when I heard a girl fart the first time, it was like that scene, you know, in Jurassic Park where they first see the dinosaur (laughs) and they stand up in the car. Take off their glasses and stuff. And their mouths hang open. That was me when I heard a girl fart. I was like, wah. The music came on. Do, 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 do. What's the music for Jurassic Park? Do, 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 do. No, that's not it. But it's surely that must be on the way out now. Boys secondary school. All boys secondary schools and all girls secondary schools. I can't. I mean, were all girls secondary schools kind of hell as well? Or were they happy enough to be away from the boys? I can imagine <laughs> they probably were, you know, um, all boys schools, man, because they didn't teach us anything about like women. We, I, we, you know, it was almost as if they were, weren't real. We weren't told anything about them. Like we didn't. I mean, I did. I'm only learning now about like the menstrual cycle. Um. And I'm well into my 40s, you know. I I downloaded an app called Flow, all right? And I, I have it on my phone and it tracks the site, your cycle because <laughs> I wanted to know about it. And it gives you all sorts of information. Like it'll tell you, oh, today, like I get a notification. And I looked down on my phone. It's that app and it's going, today you may experience some bloating and tender breasts. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I was wondering what that was. You know what I mean? 
Um, but it's good to know those things. Like, we didn't learn anything about that. About, like, female um, reproductive system or anything. And a whole generation of us, my age and older probably, definitely never learned anything about that. Unless you probably did biology, maybe. But then it was probably learning about female frogs or something. Um, because we're still in the Catholic, uh, you know, I mean, we still did religion. And it wasn't, like, about Buddhism. It was about Jesus and shit. You know, and sex education must be a lot better now. I think they don't have the, the nuns do it. Back when I did it, they had nuns fucking doing sex education. And, you know, they basically came in and said, if you have sex outside marriage, you will 100% get A's and pregnant. <laughs> you know, they just tried to scare you. If you have sex with a woman, you will catch syphilis. You know, a, fella, a woman with a fucking dress like a penguin screaming that into your face when you're 14 years old. That'll put the shits up you, you know? And uh, I remember there was a nun. She was talking about the penis. and But she didn't call it the penis or the Mickey or the prick. She called it the John Thomas. You're John Thomas. <laughs> and I, I mean, I know a John and I know a Thomas and they are pricks, but I'd never heard that before or since. I mean, who calls it their John Thomas? Um, hi, Mary, will you, uh... <laughs> Mary, will you, uh... Will you have a look there? I've got a... I've got a spot on my John Thomas. I mean, come on! Why didn't they call it the penis? Everything had to be sort of... Fucking sh- wrapped in a... Veil of, like... You can't say penis. Penis is a fine word. It's a scientific word. You're John Thomas. And a nun calling it your John Thomas, it just makes it seem scary and dirty and like you shouldn't be touching it. And I think that was the effect they were going for. And I remember the other main thing that I learned was that if you get an erection in public, because that was a fairly, you know, when you're 14, you're tapping six times a fucking hour. I wish I could be like that again. <laughs> you're fucking, you're looking at... um Coke bottles getting an erection. You know what I mean? You're looking at fucking cartoons. What was that one with the dinosaurs? Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I used to fancy the one in that. And she's not even real. But I think they gave her large bosoms. But when you're 14 or 13, any form of shape that reminds you of anything, any form of circle-less shape, and you, you just fucking, you're ready to go. And they gave us a tip, a nun gave us a tip for if that happens in public. She says, if you get an erection, if you're John Thomas, get tired in public, close your eyes and just say the Our Father, <laughs> which is fucked up. Because there's nothing sexy about the Our Father. That's why they said it to you. There's nothing sexy about the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And not the mount the sermon. Hi-oh. But uh, there's nothing sexy about Jesus. I'll tell you that. But then when you're... I mean, what's weirder? Okay? The Catholic Church, they're like, you know what is weird? Boys uh, thinking about naked women while they're uh, sexually aroused. Why not have them think about Jesus instead? (laughs) Fucking Catholic Church, man. I mean, what a strange, strange 
organization. Deeply strange. And if you're, I'm not talking about any of you, if you're Catholic or Christian or whatever, that's your own personal thing. I'm talking about, like, I am interested in, in Jesus. I, I've listened to a lot of books and shit about the historical Jesus. Um, I listen to audiobooks about him. But the actual, I'm talking about the Catholic Church itself. Deeply strange organization, just obsessed with sex. When you think about it, because everything was about don't have sex, don't have those thoughts, don't touch yourself, you're going down to the devil. I mean, what? Why are they so, why are, I mean, what was that about? And surely if God, the Father, really gave a fuck about that so much, he wouldn't make us so fucking horny. <laughs> that was his fault. You know what I mean? Anyway, where was I? I was talking about the fucking weather and I ended up talking about <laughs> the Catholic Church's obsession with my own penis. That's that's what you call fucking rambling. Rambling! I'm a rambling guy. Um, I'll do my show tonight in Smock Alley in Dublin. That's tonight, Thursday, the 24th of February. So come on down. There should be a few tickets on the door. And uh, I'm doing a tour. A tour, you say? Yes. A tour of Ireland in September. I always feel silly calling it a tour when it's just around Ireland. It's not like I'm driving around in a big bus with a load of groupies taking drugs, driving down to fucking Dundalk. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's not That's not really it. That's what I, in my head is a tour. I'm just a sad man on a train. Drinking a Lucasade. You know, that's my tour. <laughs> Sitting by himself, drinking a Lucasade, reading a book. Um, but I'm doing, I'll announce them when there's Limerick, Dundalk. Where else is there? Limerick, fucking Dundalk, Cork, uh, Port Leash, and there may be a few others. And uh, so, yeah, if you're interested, you can go to those. And I'm doing a, oh yeah, I'll be doing another show as well in Dublin. Um, so, yeah, and I, I suppose if you want to join the Patreon, I suppose I'll stick it in here. Patreon.com forward slash Shane's Brilliant Podcast. If you want to support the show, fucking send, give me five or a month for this beautiful content. And I do uh, another podcast at the weekend and you can listen to that. But mostly you get the satisfaction of helping of of of, of helping an independent podcaster. And uh it's really it's only a pint a month. That's all you're buying me. And you're buying me twelve pints in a year. Which seems quite a lot. <laughs> I wouldn't buy some people twelve pints a year, but there you go. Um so I'm going on tour. That's all the plug in, is it? Come see me tonight if you're around. It should be fun. And uh, that's that. Okay, I got a couple of emails to read out and messages. This one comes from Lee. And Lee, she says, Coincidentally, you spoke about your man from Listun Verne uh, last week. Remember I was talking about the matchmaker. Was it Willie? Willie the matchmaker? Let me Google that. Willie the matchmaker. Willie the matchmaker. Yeah, Willie Daly, the matchmaker. Anyway, Lee goes on. You spoke about your man in Liston Verna. I met him last year, randomly, when my parents and I, good grammar there, Lee, 
My parents and I got lost. We ended up on his farm. Hey, that's not fucking getting lost. That's fate. When you end up on Willie Daly's farm in Listoon Varna, that's the fucking uh, planets aligning. Uh, anyway, we, he's, we ended up on his farm and he sang us a song called Mary, cut your toenails, you're tearing up the bedsheets. <laughs> Mary, cut your toenails, you're tearing up the bedsheets. That sounds like an amazing song. It was written by Mary's mother-in-law. What? Mary's mother-in-law wrote a song called Mary, cut your toenails, you're tearing up the bedsheets. That'd be like if my mother wrote a song called Kira, cut your toenails, you're tearing... So whoever Mary's son was must have said, Mom, fucking I love Mary, but Jesus Christ, her toenails are long. <laughs> and then her mom wrote a song. And he also made us touch the book while he was getting us apple juice. Oh, yeah, his book. So if you missed last week, his matchmaker guy has got a, ma- a magic book, he calls it. And if you hold it for seven seconds or something and close your eyes, you'll find love within a year. Okay, so I wonder, Lee, did you find love within a year? You had some donkeys. They were called Dolly Parton and Ariana Grande. And there's some pictures. Open air donkey farm. Matchmaker Willie Daly. Welcome. (laughs) I mean, listen, fair play to the man. There's not many a matchmaker that'll let you touch their magic book out west, I'll tell you that. So if you're ever stuck out in Listoon Verna, uh, look out for Willie the Matchmaker. He'll let you touch his book. He'll get you some apple juice and introduce you to his donkeys, Ariana Grande and Dolly Parton. And he'll also sing you a song called Mary Cut Your Toenails or Tearing Up the Bedsheets, which is probably the best title of a song I've heard in a long time. Um, Mary, cut your toenails, you're tearing up the bedsheets. Jesus, that is uh, fucking funny. All right, thank you, Lee, for that. We got this email here from Donal. He says, Hey, Shane, long-time podcast follower here and always delighted to hear your music and movie suggestions. I was wondering, do you have any Beatles or John Lennon autobiography recommendations that are worth a read? Cheers, man, Donald. Well, Donald, I always say the same thing when people ask me this, because, you know, I'm a Beatles uh, head. And I'll tell you, I went to uh, the cinema to see the Beatles concert in this big screen. You know, the rooftop concert that was on the cinema last weekend, and I went to see it. Kira was gone getting her wedding dress fitted or picked out or whatever with her mom and her nan. It was a big family occasion, you know, all the ladies. And I had some free time, so I had two pints, went to the cinema to watch the Beatles on the roof. Now, uh, maybe it was the pints, maybe it was the, just something special in the air. But when I saw John Lennon and Paul McCartney up there on that roof singing uh, The One After 909, a song they wrote when they were, you know, basically children, teenage boys, uh, I nearly shed a tear. It was very emotional because John Lennon was going to be dead in a year. McCartney and him were going to be enemies within six months. So to see him having fun uh, like that, I I, I, got, I became overcome with emotion. Now I was after two pints. <laughs> and I, you had to have to look at me, right? Emotional, tears coming down my fucking face in the cinema watching <laughs> Watching John Lennon and Paul McCartney, where I feeling that fucking emotion, 
interspersed with probably at the exact same moment, my fiance, you know, <laughs> in tears because she's getting her wedding dress. She's moving on with her life. She's becoming an adult. Her parents are giving her away symbolically. It's something they've looked forward to all their life. And I'm fucking in Dublin crying because of the Beatles. It shows you our emotional fucking... Where we both are emotionally as a human beings. Um, but it was great, the Beatles concert. But anyway, what am I saying again? Oh, a book. All right, so... No, it depends. See, I'm a fucking Beatles head. I'm an embarrassment of a Beatles fan. You know what I mean? So I don't know how much of a Beatles fan you are. Now, if you want to get really into it, I'm talking fucking, you want more information than you could possibly need about the Beatles. I would recommend The Beatles Tune In by Mark Lewison. It's a thousand pages long, though. And it's also only up to 1962. It's only about their teenage years. Really. And there's two other parts coming out soon. You know, the middle, the 62 to 66 and then 66 to 70, the the last four years of their career. This one only goes up to 1962, but it's fucking amazing. The Beatles tune in. Um, Other than that, there's this one that's kind of good called 1, 2, 3, 4. Um... And I don't know, I, I mean, I've read a lot of John Lennon books when I was younger, but I can't really remember them. That one, one, two, three, four is kind of funny and it's quirky. It's like little stories about them. Not really a biography, though. But I would recommend the Beatles tune in and just fucking, it's an amazing story. Just, I mean, it's the, one of the greatest stories of all time. Even when you don't, you kind of have listened to all the songs, it's the fucking story is amazing, too. Imagine three, or let's say two, all right? McCartney and Lennon, two fucking amazing, huge, you know, genius, basically, composers and singers, songwriters, grew up across the road from each other. What are the fucking chances of that? I mean, it's uh, it'll never happen again. That would go on to be the biggest thing in world history in form of entertainment. Um, from Liverpool, of all fucking places. All right, all right, Liverpool, you know, we had a couple of singers, you know, the Beatles. (laughs) I mean, whatever fucking came from Liverpool before the Beatles, I probably stuff, but I can't think of anything. You know what I mean? It's an amazing story. So the Beatles tune in is the one I'd recommend. Um, There's one by Ray Conley about John Lennon. I don't know what it's called, but I read that when I was a teenager. I don't know if it's actually good. Um, so that would be the answer to that. What was the, and then I have another email. This is an email that I must have fucking forgotten about because it came in November. So the guy probably doesn't even listen anymore. (laughs) And he sent me this story, a cringe story, but I read it today for some reason. And, um, it's from a guy called Shane Perry. And he says, years ago, I was around 19 and at a loose end. So the older brother goes, I'm going to a mate's BBQ. That's short for barbecue. Sure, come along. It'll be a bit of crack. All right. So I purchased two big bags of Dutch gold in those bright green and white off-license strike bags. And we turn up and go around the back and we're greeted 
with his mate who's about 40 odd and his fiance and his parents and all their sisters sitting there all in summer dresses and suits drinking punch. I had instant regret. I'm in Wranglers with cuts around the ankles and a t-shirt. What the fuck am I doing here? So you're a 19 year old smart hole. <laughs> let's face it. In Wranglers with fucking cuts, holes in them. I never understood jeans with the holes. Like, it's supposed to be, I suppose, like, I'm so cool, I don't give give a fuck that there's holes in my jeans. Wasn't that the original thing, like, Kurt Cobain and the grunge era? But then this became designer. I mean, Wranglers, I mean, did you? Listen, let's move on from that. I could get too upset about holes in jeans. I don't have time to be ranting and raving about holes in uh, this guy's jeans. Anyway, he felt out of place. I don't belong amongst these people. I'm literally two decades too early for this shite. Predictably, it starts pissing, as with any Irish barbecue. So we all go inside, and this guy's elderly mother is sitting on the couch beside his sister, who is well into her 40s, and besides them is the father sitting there, very well-dressed and polite. So you come in, you got the mother, she's old, you got the old father and his 40-year-old sister. All right. And this is a generational sense of humour clash, or just pure immaturity from me. But his cousin arrives in with this big Bobby Dazzler entrance and goes to the sister. Ah, Celine, you're looking ravishing as ever. So to the sister on the couch and kisses her on the hand. And now I'm in the corner of the sitting room, hardly having spoken to anyone about it. On my fifth can, and I'm just watching this. And then he looks at the mother and he starts to hold, Who's this, Celine? I didn't realise you had a sister. Two sisters, I never knew. Uh, that's a classic move, isn't it? You know, when you meet a girl and you meet her mother and you're like, Who's this, your sister? <laughs> isn't that just a classic fucking... I mean, I don't think I've ever done it. I'm definitely going, that's one of my New Year's resolutions. I know we're in February. If I see a, somebody and their sister and their mother, I'm going to go, Is this your sister? I never knew you had a sister. And... They fucking love it. The mother loves it. They all start blushing and uh, they fucking love that, don't they? And I'm not saying it in a sort of cynical way. I'd like to say that to a mother in my own life just to, you know, cheer her up because it does really make them delighted. Like if you're a woman listening to this, can you remember a time when somebody has said to you, and your mother, oh, are you sisters? Oh, I never knew you had a sister. And wasn't your mother just fucking beaming? They love it. <laughs> so anyway, back to this story. So that is a classic. You know, I can't uh, fault the guy for doing that. Two sisters. Two sisters. I never had two sisters. Remember that? That was a video I saw uh, years ago that I still think of. of uh, what's his name? Tom Jones. And it's some Tom Jones TV show from the 1960s. And he's dancing around the place. And he goes over to the audience. And there's uh, two sisters in the audience. He goes, who are you? Oh, we're two sisters. Two sisters. I never had two sisters. (laughs) Couldn't say that on TV nowadays with the bloody PC police. Anyway. uh, All right. So he goes, I didn't realize you had a sister, Celine. Two sisters. I never knew. And in that moment, this is the guy, Shane. I stood up with a can of Dutch gold in the hand and I roar, thinking the room is going to erupt. Yeah, that's right. Two sisters and a bitch. 
and I point at the elderly father. So the guy says, two sisters. <laughs> and you, you got up and you said, that's right, yeah, two sisters and a bitch. And you point at the old man. <laughs> and you thought I was going to get a laugh. Yeah, two sisters and a bitch. Calling a fucking old man a bitch. <laughs> How strong were those fucking cans of Dutch gold? I mean, I've done stuff on stage that I thought I was going to get a big laugh and die too. So I can kind of relate. Because in your head, you think this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. And when you say it, like, I don't know in your situation, but when you're doing stand-up, like, sometimes you think of things on the spot and you just say them. And a lot of times, those are the things that get the biggest laughs because they seem fresh and are probably a little more excited when it comes out of your mouth. But sometimes you say it and it's just nothing. And there's nothing like a room of like, I don't know, 50, 60 people just just not agreeing with you. <laughs> so this guy's called an old man a bitch. Two sisters and a bitch. And I step forward and point at the elderly father. And after all of the gasps, you could hear a pin drop. So I back into the corner and look down, half hiding behind my brother. Everyone is silent and side-eyeing each other. And eventually someone clears their throat and goes, So does anyone know a song? It was hideous. And I still pull a face when that memory pops into my head. Yeah. That's a bad one. Listen, man. You know, I'm going to be honest with you here. You kind of deserve to be cringing over that. You know what I mean? I don't know what you were thinking, standing up, shouting at an old man, calling him a bitch. But that is one of those things that, um, you know, would be hard to live with. I would, ag I agree with that. That's that's six years of therapy and um, electroshock. <laughs> Isn't electroshock therapy just the fucking weirdest thing ever, man? Hair, what's wrong with you? I'm a bit mental, you know. I got issues. I fucking you know, I, I can't sleep with the anxiety. I'm afraid if I leave my house, I'll I'll push somebody onto the street. There's just this crazy anxiety that it makes me do crazy things. And the depression, oh, Jesus, don't even get me started on that. Oh, yeah, well, I've got the cure here. Lie on that table while you electrocute your brain. <laughs> like science, Joe, before they, like the 1800s, they hadn't a fucking clue. They were making it up as they go along. Leeches. Hair will show a lot of... Hair. Hair, what's wrong with you? Uh, fucking, I have um, leukemia. Hair, we're trying a fucking bunch of leeches onto you. That'll cure you. I shouldn't have gone leukemia there. That was too rough. That was too much. That was too dark. <laughs> by the time I this comes out, or no, by the time of next week, I will have had my uh, birthday. 36. The big tree six. And um, I'll be an old cunt, won't I? And you know what's a birthday as well this year? I only realized this recently, or I only remembered it. Ireland. Remember Ireland? That's the country where we're living. A hundred years old. There hasn't really been much about it. We signed a treaty. One of my favorite treaties, really. But actually, do you know what my favorite treaties are? Tiramisu... <laughs> Tiramisu, apple tart, and um, uh, Battenberg cake. They're my favorite treaties. No, uh, but the treaty, if you're, I'll give you a small history lesson before I go. The, the, the treaty, if you're from Ireland, or if you're not from Ireland, 
And maybe if you're from England, this will teach you about your own horrible uh, nation. <laughs> what happened was, so England basically invaded Ireland about eight or nine hundred years ago, right? I'm simplifying things. The Normans and all that shit. And it basically ended up with Ireland, England, Ireland being part of the United Kingdom in 1800. So you, what was it? The United Kingdom of Great Britain and, and Ireland. So a lot of Irish people are like, well, fuck that shit, man. And the IRA, I think they were called the IRB at the time. The Fenians, all these volunteers. All right. They were like, fuck this, man. We don't want to be part of the UK. So they says, you know what we'll do? This is this is in 1916 now. They says, England's in a world war with Germany and uh, Austria and all those fellas. And there was a phrase for it. We'll use England's mis... What was it? England's misfortune as Ireland's opportunity. Something like that. So what they said was, England's distracted by the war in the mainland. Why don't we start a revolution here and win our freedom? So what they did was, a bunch of boyos and girlos, Countess Markovich and a few others, I, I would assume, they said, you know what we'll do? We'll... We'll take on the might of the greatest and biggest empire. Not greatest. Listen, before you fucking cancel me, I'm not saying greatest in the form of, I think it's great. I mean, greatest is in the biggest. Okay. Before I get my fucking Irish card revoked for same day. (laughs) Irish comedian. Irish minor level comedian calls the UK great. The greatest empire. No. Um, what am I fucking saying? The biggest empire. They took on the might of the biggest empire of all time. The sun never sets on this land by locking themselves into a post office and a biscuit shop, a biscuit factory. Now, a, probably a tactical mistake. <laughs> they weren't the greatest tacticians, God bless them. They actually, they went into the GPO and they took over a few buildings and they kind of let the Brits come on to them. Didn't they? And see, the British were, like I said, the biggest empire in world history at the time, bigger than the Romans. And so they said, that'll, we'll just destroy them. And that's what they did. They blew up the fucking GPO. They blew up Jacob's Biscuit Factory. Um, and they rounded up the leaders. They're, I can't remember them all. Podrick Pierce was the big, the most famous one. And then you had uh, De Valera, James Connolly. Markovich, a few others, Thomas Ash, was he one? Um, and they, what they did was, except for De Valera, because he was an American citizen, and Countess Markovich, because she was a lady, they executed them all, summary, without trial. They brought him into Kilmainham jail and shot them. And they brought in James Connolly, and he was a socialist leader, and he got injured in the fighting, in the Easter Rising, the revolution, so he was blind and he couldn't walk. His legs were bollocksed. And they tied him to a chair and shot him without any trial. And that was the... They, they went too British. <laughs> That's what the Brits' fault was. They went too... They, you never go full British. And that's what they did. They executed him without a trial. They went full British. They turned the people of Ireland because the people of Ireland at first were like, we don't give a fuck about this rising. We're happy out. 
And then once they executed the leaders viciously, they went full British, executed a fellow who couldn't walk or see, they turned the country against them. Anyway, to make a long story even longer, a few of the people rose up from the remnants of the Rising. De Valera was re- released. Himself and M- Michael Collins were the two main men. I'm sure there was others. Arthur Griffith. But they're the only two ones you hear of. They, De Valera was the figurehead and Michael Collins was the leader of the, the army. The Irish Republican army. And what he did was, he was a kind of a smart fiend. That reminds me of a guy I know from Tralee who was called Eufine. And he used to have a rhyme. My name is Eufine. My name is Eufine. I'm nearly 19. When I come in my jeans, I put them in the washing machine. He used to say that. And he was a big, strong fella. I mean, very strong. And one time when I was about 17, I told him to punch me full force into the head. I said, I bet you I can take it. And he said, are you sure, Shane? I said, yeah. And he punched me and I collapsed. And that's probably what happened to me. But anyway, forget about Eufine. Michael Collins says, you know what, we're, we're going to fight the Brits, but we're not going to do it like what we did in 1916 by locking ourselves into a post office. He said, that was a big mistake. What we'll do is guerrilla warfare. And he wasn't actually talking. At first, the, the boys were like, what? Monkeys and shit. <laughs> and he was like, no, not fucking monkeys. Guerrilla warfare as in, we're not going to break into Dublin Zoo and release the gorillas on them. And set the guerrillas on the Brits. No. Guerrilla warfare is where you're, you hide in the countryside. You attack them at random. And you fucking hide back into the countryside. You run off. Uh, I don't know why they call it guerrilla warfare. What kind of a silly bastard came up with that? Yeah, we'll call it something that exactly sounds like a big monkey. And that confuse cunts. You know what? Why didn't they just call it like something else? Uh, attack and run why do they have to call it guerrilla warfare can anyone answer me that why do they call it after our guerrillas I know it's spelled differently but anyway there was uh, the war of independence started and they fought the Brits they fucking attacked them and ran off and then the Brits sent over the black and tans and they were a bad bunch of bastards they sieged Tralee they fucking uh, they were horrible fuckers and th- anyway Cut a long story short, 1919, no, 1919 has started-ish to 1921 and 1922, wasn't it? And fucking, anyway, the Brits said, listen, all right, we're sick of you Irish bastards. We want to get rid of you. You're fucking wrecking our heads. Come to the talk in the treaty. So, De Valera, the sly dog, he says, here, Michael Collins, you, Arthur Griffith and a few other fellas, you can go over and do, talk to uh, Churchill and David Lloyd George and all the rest of them. And Michael Collins was like, hey, what are you talking about, boy? Because he's from Cork. He was like, you should go over, man, boy. <laughs> he goes, I, I, I'm only a fucking, I only fight in the wars, like, I can't negotiate. So they reckon now De Valera knew that they weren't going to, they, they weren't going to get what they wanted. Um, and he is also, what you don't know about De Valera is that he, not only was he the leader of Ireland, he also was the leader of German terrorists that took over the Nakatomi building in 1988 in New York, you know, in L.A. Was it L.A.? Yeah, L.A. Um, that's a little known fact about 
uh, Eamon de Valera. But what am I fucking talking about now? And oh wait, yeah, and he also uh, taught Harry Potter the secrets of dark magic. But de Valera, and anyway, there was so the Brits said, "Listen, you can fucking have your independence, but you have to give us Northern Ireland." That was the treaty. And that's the history of the Irish War of Independence. I hope you learned a lot. We'll go into the Civil War next week. <laughs> I should be a fucking history teacher. Imagine that was your history lesson. Being five minutes, you'd know everything there is to know. The Easter Rising, the War of Independence, the Treaty. That's all you need to know, man. So, um, yeah, it's a hundred years since then, but I haven't really heard anything about it. Maybe they're doing something else, I don't know. And then Michael Collins in the film goes, do you know when the Brits are handing over the power, Michael Collins goes, oh no, he's eight minutes late. And the British guy goes, you're eight minutes late, Mr. Collins. <laughs> and Michael Collins goes, uh, sure, you rule us for 800 years, you can wait eight minutes. And everybody goes, ah, you fucking bastard, I'll take that, you dirty British cunt. Um, I'm not sure if he actually really did say that, but it looked good in the movie. Anyway, listen, I'm going to love you, leave you, and uh, may God have mercy on us all. Hopefully I didn't die in the show now, tonight. <laughs> uh, or else that would be... Nah, I won't. I was kind of a bit... You know, because I haven't done a big show like this in... Um, it's like 150 people or something. I haven't done like... For me, that's big enough. I haven't done a big show like that in a couple of years. So... I was I got into a freak out tizzy and I thought, what will I do? And do you know what the first thought that came into my head was like in The Simpsons, one of my favorite lines in The Simpsons, it's um, Homer's plan in college for the college exams that he hasn't studied. And he was going to hide under a bunch of coats until and hope it works out for the best. <laughs> and I hope that I often think that I could get away with that. Just hide under a bunch of coats and hope everything works out for the best. All right. Um, I'm sure it went well. All the best. Take it easy. Cheers. Nice one. Thanks. Sign up to everything. Follow me on everything. Peace and love and understanding. Uh, cheers. Nice one. Thanks. And hobnob. <laughs>